You're tuned in to Let's Talk Good Business, the show that's designed to feature the emerging identity of social entrepreneurs, activists, philanthropists, and other creative change makers. Join our host, Dr. Dion Mahaffey, as she explores the strategies, leaders, and new markets that are driving the evolution of conscious good business. Hi, this is Dr. Dion Mahaffey, and thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk Good Business. Now, today we're discussing world hunger. Hunger and poverty are not new challenges, but how to solve them in a sustainable fashion is definitely something that a lot of organizations are looking at. Feed the World is a social enterprise that has developed a sustainable, easy-to-implement program that can be developed anywhere in the world and has proven to reduce malnutrition by as much as 75%. The organization's chief technical officer, Alan Silva, is here to discuss some of the issues facing the world in terms of ending hunger and poverty and what Feed the World is doing to make this a reality. Welcome, Alan. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be in here with you guys today. I'm so glad that you're here. Now, tell our listeners a little bit about your background before we just jump into questions. Let's personalize this. Tell us who you are and, and why you work with Feed the World. Uh, well, quick background. My name is Alan Silva. Uh, again, I work with, uh, with Feed the World. I'm actually from Colombia, South America. So it's, it's interesting, though, because I was actually raised in a small rural town in the middle of nowhere that still doesn't even have much in terms of uh, paved roads. So uh, in a lot of places that I travel around the world, I'm actually very comfortable in because it's very much how I was kind of raised. Um, but uh, I've been working in, uh, with the nonprofit sector for a while. I, I used to be a, a big businessman, do a lot of companies, a lot of money. It was all about the bottom dollar. But uh, when I finally started, had a chance to work with a nonprofit, um, I, I tell you, I started feeling something different. You know, I started traveling around the world and, and working with families directly, one on one, and I started really feeling a great sense of purpose in what I was doing. And because of that, uh, I grew to love working in the nonprofit sector and, and, and doing something more than just making money, but actually trying to make a difference in the world in a sustainable way. So that's how I kind of get involved with this organization. They came to us one day and said, hey, can you help us out? I said, sure. And I've been with them ever since. Wow. I mean, that, that's impressive, you know, to just stop in your tracks from making money to you know, being of use to your community and to, and to people around the world. You know, our mantra here on the show is do good and be good wherever you are, so I applaud you for living up to that. Now, millions of people around the world suffer every day from inadequate food supply, and there are a variety of circumstances and different obstacles. And, and from your perspective, what are the challenges, those critical challenges that face us as we tackle malnutrition and poverty around the world? Wow. Well, um, there's, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Uh, there's a lot of different <laughs> things that, um, that lead or cause uh, problems in the world that we have in terms of malnutrition and, and poverty, because they're actually tied together in, in a very real way. Um, one of the things that we've noticed more is that the biggest challenge that we have in terms of ending or dealing with the issues of malnutrition has to do with education. Uh, I travel all over the world, and I work with many countries, and, and all the people I talk to, you know, they're, they're very smart. There are people who have children who, ha- who, are, you know, who are trying their best to, to survive, to move ahead, but they don't know how. And that's the biggest issue we've, ha- we've had. It's, it's, it's not so much a lack of resources, although there, you know, there, are, there are some needs there, but it really is more a lack of education, of really trying to help people understand what the problem is that they're actually facing and how to fix it. Um, so education, I think, is probably one of the biggest issues that we have to deal with. Now there's other things like war and, and, and man-made causes and droughts and all these kinds of things. But overall, if you can help uh, educate people, you, you've taken a huge step right there 
into overcoming it. So in the aspect of the farmers, that's one, one of the biggest issues that we have to worry about. And in terms of dealing with it, one of the biggest issues I've seen in terms of organizations trying to help has been a lack of understanding what the problems really are. Um, of that and, and, and short-term versus long-term solutions. Uh, so let me just really quickly go on each of these. Uh, first, the short-term, long-term solutions. Um, you see a lot of organizations, NGOs, uh, nonprofits, that are, are trying to do wonderful good. You know, when you see the, the big hurricanes come in or something of that matter happens there, uh, there's always a wonderful organization coming in to try to help alleviate the needs and the suffering that's going on. Uh, the problem is, is that there's a huge number of organizations that come in with, with aid, with food, with supplies, with clothes, with all these wonderful things. But as soon as the, you know, the emergency is over, they leave. And the things that they brought, so they, they, they're very good at bringing short-term aid and immediate, you know, you know, keeping people from dying kind of relief. But they're not really set up or designed to really solve the problem. You know, these guys, you know, their, their, their crops have been destroyed, the land is ravaged, they have no more resources. These guys can bring in immediate supplies, but they're not set up to really help fix the problem, just alleviate the immediate suffering. So finding organizations that really bring long-term solutions, it's a huge, huge need that exists right now all over the world. Um, and being able to really understand what the problem is is another issue that we have. Um, let me give you a quick example. Uh, we have uh, one of the villages I traveled to in Peru just recently. The government had come in and saw that these families were all cooking um, on the floor. You know, they had three stones, a pot in the middle, and some sticks in the floor, and that's, how, and that's their kitchen. And we see that all over the world. And these, the government organization came in and said, wow, these poor guys are suffering. You know, they have all this, all, this, you know, they're, they're, all this smoke in their little houses, their little straw huts there, and, and they're getting sick. You know, we've got to help them. So they got together, and they brought a lot of money together, and they brought these improved kitchens, or basically just you know, uh, brick ovens with a, with a metal uh, tube that goes outside the house. So there's no more smoke in the house and all these kind of things. And so they, they did all this for the entire village. They brought all these wonderful tools, and they're all patting themselves on the back. We did great. We helped all these people. We saved them. And, of course, <laughs> we come in later, and we saw what these guys had done, now, and we looked at the families, and they were still cooking on the floor with the three stones and the pot. <laughs> and they have this brand new stove wow. next to them that's not being used. And we would ask them, so why aren't you using these new stoves that the, uh, that the government's brought to you and these other NGOs? And they'd say things like, well, because we're freeze to death. And we're like, what, what do you mean? Because, well, we found out that the fires were not just for food, but also for warmth. And wow. uh, these, new, these new ovens, this new stove that the government put in, took all that warmth as well as smoke and took it outside. So these people couldn't use them for the fact that they were using them as a source of warmth for their homes as well. Not only that, but we also find out that the smoke, you know, when these people would harvest their corn or their, or their things, they would make a little thatched uh, uh, roof, basically, a little uh, attic, you could say, there, in their little houses, and they would store their corn there so that the mice wouldn't get to it. The smoke coming rising from the bottom would help coat the corn to keep the animals, because it wouldn't, it wouldn't taste good for the animals. And the smoke would also keep the animals from getting up there. As soon as the smoke left, now there's nothing to protect the corn, and the animals would come in and, and devour all the food. So they would starve to death, too. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I see this all the time. Organizations that have a great desire to help, a great, you know, they come in with all these wonderful things, but they don't realize what the problems really are. They address what they think they are, but instead of doing good, they actually cause more harm. 
So you know, those are a couple, some of the issues, some of the many, many issues that uh, that I've seen as I've traveled around in terms of learning how to tackle uh, malnutrition in the developing world. So, what makes Feed the World different than other social enterprises and NGOs and you know just groups that want to do good? And we we know there are those that provide the helicopter aid and they come and leave, and and we know that there are obstacles such as inefficient access and education, as you said, and affordability and contamination, um, and and then just not understanding the needs of of the people. You have to really get to know the yeah. needs of those that you are serving, so that you can serve them in a way that is beneficial to what they need to evolve beyond their circumstances. So you gave a perfect example with them not thinking that the food and the cooking was the only solution when, you know, that served a dual and multiple purposes for them, that heat served multiple purposes for them. So what makes Feed the World different than other NGOs? And, I mean, we could, after you answer this one, we'll go to break and then we'll come back and continue the discussion. Right. Well, to start off, then, uh, what makes our organizations very different is our approach. Uh, many NGOs that, uh, in fact, I try to partner with us and, and go down there have an approach, and this is the, the typical approach, is most organizations bring an economic solution to the problem. They see that people are starving to death, that they don't have any money to buy food, so they say, okay, so the solution is simple. It's economics. What we're going to teach you is how to, you know, if you're growing corn, we're going to teach you how to grow more corn. We're going to bring this super powerful hybrid seed from, you know, developed in who knows where that can withstand any kind of element, any kind of disease. We'll give you the seed. You'll be able to grow it. You'll be able to grow five times the amount of corn. And with that corn, now you will be able to take that corn to the market, sell it for a lot more money, and then with all that money, buy the food that you need and solve your problem. You know, that, that's, one, that's the general response that uh, most of the NGOs come in. They come in with a social or an economic solution. Uh, Again, the problem that we're finding with this is that there's a lot of pitfalls with that kind of solution. Uh, For example, if they bring that solution to an entire village, now an entire village is growing a huge amount of corn, uh, it creates a couple problems. One, it creates dependence now because now they have to depend on this organization to bring in, to bring this special hybridized GMO type of, of, of genetically designed corn that can only be brought from the outside. So now they, that creates dependence on an outside entity for survival. Plus, now if you've got all these people growing all these massive amounts of corn, you have problems with market saturation. Uh, you know, every, no one can sell it at the, at the price anymore because there's too much of it now. Um, you've got problems with disease. The more of one type of crop you grow, uh, the more disease uh, it becomes rampant in the area. So there's a lot of issues that come in with trying to put in an economic model. What Feed the World does is we actually bring a nutritional model and, and you know, to give you one last thing there, uh, when these people find and grow these tons of corn, they're going to try to, you know, they have this distribution problem. They have to try to find a way to get all this new corn down to a market, which is much more difficult than, than people believe. And, um, you know, if they can't sell it, that's all they have to eat. Uh, and then, of course, when they sell it, they sell it wholesale. Uh, usually to distributors or to government agencies, and then they have to go buy their food retail, which is, again, the opposite of what you need to do because uh, you can never buy as much as you can sell, uh, as much as you can grow. So what we tell people is don't sell. Don't worry about this economic model. Grow what you need to survive. So we teach people a nutritional model that shows them how to grow food more efficiently, uh, more varieties of food that are actually nutritionally dense food that they can actually eat and use, Next to their homes, we have, we have developed uh, much more efficient ways of growing food that can use just the local implements, which don't bring in anything from the outside, world, outside market. They can grow themselves. They can take care of themselves. And once their own nutritional needs are met, 
and they have all the food that they need, which of course you can always, you know, literally it'll cost you, you know, four to ten times more to buy the food than to grow it. Uh, so it's a much more efficient model for them too. Once they have all their nutritional needs met, then we'll teach them how to how to uh, commercialize the surplus. But the, what that, now that's awesome. Now we're going to take a break. We're going to go ahead and take a break, Alan, and when we come back, I want you to pick up where you left off about how they can commercialize because, again, you know, we're a, a talk show that focuses on social enterprise, and if you're educating them on how they can commercialize the things that you're teaching as a social enterprise to the community that you're serving, I think that that's awesome, and I want our listeners to hear how you do that. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more information on how to be and how to do good business. At Boss Life Coaching, we partner with you to clarify, enhance, or reinvent your business strategy. Imagine your business with inspired leaders who foster teamwork, use of tools of innovation like social media and marketing automation. We offer executive coaching, tech startup consultation, small business coaching, and for larger organizations, we provide team building solutions, coaching, and soft skills training for you and your employees. Are you dreaming of a well-run business with consistent leads, sales, and profits? Well, let us help you make it a reality. Contact Boss Life Coaching, a program of the Life Purpose Coaching Institute. You can reach us online at bosslifecoaching.com or dial 877-427-2724, extension 801. That's bosslifecoaching.com. Hey, welcome back. This is Dr. Dion, and it's Let's Talk Good Business. Today we're discussing world hunger, and we have the Chief Technical Officer, Alan Silva. He's with Feed the World, and and. If you're just tuning in, you've missed a treat because Alan has been discussing the approach to addressing issues of malnutrition and poverty across the globe. And his organization has been doing, you know, a lot of great things to teach those that they serve how to commercialize the surplus um, from, you know, the crops that they're growing, how to leverage the education that they're bringing to their villages and to their towns so that they can become, you know, self-sufficient to address problems long-term, not just an immediate sort of helicopter aid as it relates to some of the limitations that they have, which, you know, results in malnutrition. So I want to just turn it back over to you, Alan, and let you recap um, or pick up where you left off because you were explaining to us what makes Feed the World different than other social enterprises and NGOs, and you were telling us how you're teaching them to commercialize and, and establish businesses and generate income. All right, so as a quick recap then, so what we do is we, instead of focusing primarily on a commercial model, which has a lot of drawbacks, uh, we focus primarily on a nutritional model. We help people to grow the food that they eat instead of having to go and buy it, which ends up being hugely cheaper. So when we teach these people how to grow their own food and how to, how to do it nutritionally and in an efficient, simple manner with the implements at hand, so they don't have to depend on anybody else in the outside world to do it, we've already saved them a huge amount of money because that's one of the biggest expenses that most farmers have is food. Um, so once we do that, we've already jumped started 
over most commercial models right there. But we go another, a couple of steps further than that. So after we have taught them how to grow nutritionally, um, we do it by creating you know, variations on, on the types of foods that they eat. You know, every family, every village has different needs than the other family. You know, some, some have more rainfall, others have uh, worse soil. So we have to adapt what they grow based on these different climates and, and, and abilities. So naturally, as, as we work with different villages, the crops they grow tend to differ. Uh, and depends on the needs as well. So once they finish growing all their food, we teach them to start creating local markets, to take the surpluses that they have, which ends up being in many cases different than what their neighbors and what the other villages' crops are. Um, and we say, okay, you know what? You've got yourself all set up. You know how to eat better. You know how to do this. And you know how to cook the food better. Now let's help you open up markets. Uh, so we, instead of t- having to go down to the cities, because, again, most of these areas, you know, you're looking at eight, ten hours away from any, any major city. We're talking about small villages here. Uh, we'll teach them how to start commercializing with each other. So we'll work with the villages and we'll start having them create small markets and trade and sell to other small villages. So we actually have some great success stories that we can talk about, about some of these villages having just doing amazingly well and being able to, to, uh, to just do incredible projects with, with these kind of projects. Also, we've learn to connect with organizations in the government. That's another important uh, differentiation is we work a lot with governments uh, and connect with them with uh, the kinds of um, uh, programs that governments might have. Uh, an example is an association. You know, we find that many governments, especially in South America, try to help the farmers, but they can't buy one head of squash from this one family. They have to buy in bulk. Uh, so we teach families how to become uh, associations, how to combine multiple villages together to create one entity and use that to sell all their surplus food in bulk to organizations such as governments or, or uh, other organizations, all the villages, and create commercialization models that are also still local instead of having to create long-distance drives to major cities. So there's many, many ways that we work to try to create uh, self-sufficiency, not only nutritionally but economically as well. Now, you know, here on Let's Talk Good Business, we love discussing technology and and civic innovation and, you know, some of the emerging things that social enterprises and nonprofits are doing that have, you know, um, an impact on social good. So I I hear that there's something that you guys are doing to help, you know, um, address some of the efficiencies that are needed um, by organizations. Can you share that with our audience? Oh, man, we have a lot of innovations that we're working with right now. Uh, one of the ones I'm most excited about is a new database that we're creating. Uh, some of the problems that we've seen as we work with other NGOs has been that many NGOs will travel to a village, and they'll all spend huge amounts of money creating initial baselines. They're trying to find out who's in the village, what the populations are, what the data is, all these wonderful – they create you know, hundreds of thousands of, of forms and all these wonderful things. And um, they spend a huge amount of their budget on just getting information. And you find that uh, other organizations come in and they spend a huge amount of money doing the same thing. Um, and many organizations don't know that there are other organizations that already just got that same information they're trying to get as well. So we're finding there's a lot of inefficiencies in terms of how NGOs work with each other or with governments, or with universities. Now, most of these entities want to help the small farmer or want to help alleviate poverty and hunger, but uh, they don't know what anybody else is doing or how to work with them. So what we're doing is we're actually creating almost a centralized place where uh, farmers, NGOs, universities, governments can all connect and work together. It's, it's an amazing, amazing idea. You know, you know, one organization will come in and say, okay, uh, like us, we'll, we'll come in and say, okay, we, we've 
done massive analysis on, these, on all these villages, and we know here's the needs, here's the number of family members, here's the number of kids that they have, here's the ages, here's the deficiencies, and we've created a program that, that addresses these issues. Well, another NGO will come into this system, as an example, and will see all this information that we've gathered and say, hey, you know what? You know, we bring, you know, we, our NGO brings in education. You know, we can bring schools, we can bring teachers, and we see that from the data that you've collected that all these, that you, have, you have this many kids in, in all these villages, um, we can bring in our, our, our teachers in that same area, and all the, back, you know, all the footwork is already being done by us. So now they come in and they bring their teachers and they bring their schools. Another NGO comes in and says, hey, what? guess what? You know, we are, we're a series of doctors and dentist organizations. And uh, you know, we want to help the villages. And from the data you already guys already have, we already know how many kids have, have, I know, have all these medical issues and dental issues. And we can bring in our dentists and collaborate with you guys and even go up in the same vehicles you guys go in and, and save all this energy and all these resources. So overall, we're creating a place where anyone can get together, share uh, massive amounts of data that's being lost right now, uh, because literally, it, it, you know, hundreds of thousands of pages just being thrown away because no one knows what to do with them, um, and creating a place where everyone can work together, where everyone can leverage each other's resources, such as time, each other's um, uh, infrastructures, and really be able to create a much larger impact in any specific place around. So it's, 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 it's a fantastic thing. So right now we're, we're, we're doing some beta testing now in the initial phases of it. We're almost finished with it. Um, but you know, it has great promise of really being able to make a huge difference in, in all the world. I mean, that's very impressive. Now, at, in the first segment, you mentioned that you grew up in a very small town, um, a developing area. And when you think about how social entrepreneurship has emerged, it first, it first evolved in the developing world. So the, now the business models and the social metrics are going mainstream, and you hear often people discussing you know, social entrepreneurship. Um, but do you think that your upbringing had an impact on the work that you're doing now? Very much so. Uh, one of the things that we do, and we talk about this, is, uh, is expeditions. Uh, I, t I take expeditions down to South America and to Africa um, all the time to, you know, because you find that one thing is being sitting in a in a chair in the middle of Washington State, uh, sipping on a on a cool glass of something as you're trying to plan how to save the world. Uh, another thing is when you're actually in the grunt, you know, in the village, working with the family, seeing the suffering, seeing the difficulties, seeing what's going on. There's a huge, I guess, new level of commitment that comes into people's hearts when they actually see those who they're helping. Uh, and I've seen that everywhere. Every time I take people down there uh, to some of these projects and they, and they actually get in the dirt and they actually work with these people, they come out changed. You know, they wanted to help at the beginning, but once they're done, they're, they're like, oh, man, I didn't know that the, that the need was this desperate. I didn't know. The, and let's, let's see what we can do. Let's see how we can help. Let's, and, and they get <laughs> so much more excited about doing, and, and not only that, but since they're there, they see the needs much more firsthand. They see potential solutions that they couldn't have seen you know, on, on a desk somewhere. You know, the more involved that you can be in the process, the better the ideas come, the more excitement it generates. So for me, having grown up in that kind of situation, you know, I know what it's like. I've been there. I've lived in it. Um, so you know, it, it made a huge difference in terms of how excited I was and how devoted I am to what I'm doing. Well, I mean, that's amazing, and you, you're definitely right. Now, 
one thing you mentioned earlier in it is sort of, you know, I know we have to go to break, but I do want to ask you because there are so many solutions in place that you guys have that are great and that other things that other organizations are doing that are great as well. So how do we fix world hunger? How do we fix it? You've got to fix it from the bottom up. You know, that's the simplest answer. Organizations come in and say, well, we're going to bring in all these you know, ovens, like we just, in the example we had earlier. We're going to bring in all these tractors. We're going to bring in all these things, and we're going to fix the whole village at a time. Um, you find that global answers um, don't work. I mean, I, I can, I can <laughs> tell you about hundreds of different little monuments, what we call them, you know, failed projects from NGOs who come in and want to do some major project and they run out of funds before they can finish it or, they're, or they're, it's such a grandiose project that they have no, con- no connection with the people. So when they leave, there's no one to fix the, the machines when they break. There's no one to train the people on how to run them. There's no in- emotional investment from the people themselves. You know, when you find that you try to bring big answers, um, things don't work. The, if you're going to fix world hunger, you have to start from the bottom up. You've got to start by the family, analyzing needs individually and really finding what the true problems are and how to fix them. You know, it, it, it's, it's as simple as that. Uh, most NGOs don't, don't get it. A few do. Uh, and, I'm, and, again, I'm, I'm grateful for all of them because they're all trying to do good. Um, but unless you really understand how to fix the problem and, and what, that, what the problem really is, uh, instead of doing good, many NGOs end up doing a lot more damage than good. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the saying about helicopter aid where they just sort of drop in and, and drop, drop off the food, as you mentioned earlier, and leave without any long-term sustainable program in place. So we're going to take another break, and when we come back, I want you to tell our listeners how they can get involved with Feed the World and other things that are really, you know, great about your organization and the things that you're doing to address the issue of world hunger. So we'll take a break, and don't touch that dial. Come right back. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more information on how to be and how to do good business. At Boss Life Coaching, we partner with you to clarify, enhance, or reinvent your business strategy. Imagine your business with inspired leaders who foster teamwork, use of tools of innovation like social media and marketing automation. We offer executive coaching, tech startup consultation, small business coaching, and for larger organizations, we provide team building solutions, coaching, and soft skills training for you and your employees. Are you dreaming of a well-run business with consistent leads, sales, and profits? Well, let us help you make it a reality. Contact Boss Life Coaching, a program of the Life Purpose Coaching Institute. You can reach us online at bosslifecoaching.com or dial 877-427-2724, extension 801. That's bosslifecoaching.com. Hey, Atlanta, our phone lines are open. Call us now at 404-850-8249. We're taking your questions about entrepreneurship, nonprofits, and social good. You'll receive a response on today's show or during a future broadcast. Dial 404-850-8249. That's 404-850-8biz.
Welcome back. We're speaking to Alan Silva of Feed the World, and we've been discussing malnutrition and some of the solutions that Feed the World has implemented from both a technology perspective, sustainable farming, and other great things that they have on the horizon to help address the issue of world hunger and poverty globally. Now, Alan, um, you've shared some great information and I want to hear some success stories. How does your program work? And tell our listeners some examples of the success that you've had. Oh, that's, uh, that's, we've had a huge amount of success. That's, again, <laughs> one of the most incredible things about our program, which is one of the reasons I love it, is that uh, you know, we're not about just let's spend money, spend money, spend money, get donations kind of thing. We, we really are about making a difference. Uh, and we have uh, huge, huge data that uh, we like to collect that shows what a huge difference we really actually are making in this world, um, much more than even many of government organizations are doing. But uh, examples of success, oh, actually one right now that came to my mind, his name is Don Simeon. Uh, he's yeah, from Peru, uh, wife and I believe six children. Uh, you know, like most families down there, uh, he was growing a little monocrop and a little piece of land. He had a little piece of land next to his house, a little piece of land next to a river. And he was just, you know, again, barely scraping by a straw hut. I mean, just like, like you picture in, in your imagination, a little straw hut with mud, and that's, you know, the floors, that's all they lived in. Um, we came in, and we said, okay, we can help you to become self-sufficient, to take care of your family and really grow. And, and he, was, he immediately took it on. He's like, really, I can do this? I'm like, yeah, we'll show you how. So we started with showing you how to do something called sequential gardens. A sequential garden is a very bio-intensive gardening method that uh, allows people to grow a lot more food with a lot less space and water. So we showed them how to create some, some, uh, some gardens uh, uh, that are simple to grow. And uh, he started having, you know, again, most people we work with, we have to start small because you know you're risking their lives by telling them to not grow what they're growing and grow what you grow, because uh, that's literally the life source right there. So we started small. We said, okay, here, grow, grow in a, a little patch you have here. We'll show you how to grow these gardens. We'll lend you the seeds, uh, which you have to pay us back. That's an important element of success. You cannot give stuff to people, or you will uh, just destroy them. Um, you have to give, build up their self-esteem too by, by giving them responsibility. So we gave them, we, we loaned them the seeds. We helped him uh, plant his first garden, showed him how to do it. Uh, he did it. Uh, within three months, he had a huge crop because he's a hard worker. Uh, that's one thing we noticed from these people. He was so excited with the amazing uh, expansion of, of his, his little garden. He had never been able to grow that much food in that little amount of space. And he was able to feed his family. The family were no longer hungry, were no longer uh, starving, and, they were, they were, and because of that, the kids were much more energetic. They did much better in school. Uh, they, were, they were really excited about everything else, and so they really started kicking in and helping him out. As we came back, we noticed that he started replacing his land by himself with more of our technology. And we, we showed him how to grow not only sequential gardens but uh, field crops, uh, rotation systems that allow to bring carbohydrates and, uh, and starches and uh, fiber and all these kind of things to the diet. We showed them how to grow small animals. Uh, we work specifically with things like guinea pigs, chickens, uh, rabbits, um, things that are very small and easy to take care of. Uh, big animals, cows, and things like that we, we, we shy away from because they, are very cons- they consume a huge amount of resources and produce very little. So we focus on things that actually really will produce good proteins, uh, good sources of, of nutrition. So we did all these things with him, and uh, we showed him how to do it. And he, and he started growing and growing and growing and growing, and he by himself started replacing all his land with our, our technology that we showed him how to do. And again, very simple to do. Uh, when we came back a couple of months later for a review, he had replaced everything that he had with all our gardens and was growing so much that he could no longer um, sell it to the wholesaler. So he said, you know what? 
Uh, I'm close enough to a, to a small little town here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can take it down and sell it myself. Uh, so he had, some, he had a huge variety of crops, uh, which, again, helps him not with, uh, with, with uh, disease and macro situation. He went down and he sold his product, uh, the extra that he had. And, he now, and, he, and it didn't matter to him how much he sold it for now because his needs were already taken care of. His family was fed and they were, they were full. Um, but he made a good money because he was, we showed him how to grow a lot of different types of crops that nobody else was growing too. So he made a huge amount of money as well. He came back. He started doing all these wonderful things, and he said to himself, you know what? I've got time now. I don't have to fight for starvation every day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more. And by himself, he started replacing the rest of his land with more of these types of crops, more of these types of programs. And he came back, and uh, we came back a couple of months later, and he had torn down his house. We're like, what are you doing? He says, no, I, I can do better than this. I, can, I know I can do better than this. So he built himself a nice, big, beautiful brick house now. He put his kids wow. in full-time school. Um, and literally, he pulled himself out of poverty. So once wow. we, and that's one of the things that we learned. Once you teach people how to take themselves and take care of themselves nutritionally, they will pull themselves out of poverty. Um, now, I mean, that, that is an amazing story, and I know that you teach other organizations how to use this system, and I, I, and, and I know we've been discussing the developing world, but let's just bring it home a little. You know, one in five children in America um, suffer from poverty, so is there a way that local organizations can learn your system, organizations here in the United States, to implement them in cities and towns and rural areas across the U.S. to have the same type of result? Is that possible? Oh, yes, very much so. In fact, you know, yeah. we're finding as we've gone through our website that a lot of a lot of, a lot of, a lot of our hits coming to our website lately have been not from the developing world, but exactly from America of people trying to figure out how can we do this in our house? How can we become self-sufficient? How can we avoid you know, the, uh, the salmonella recalls and all these kind of problems and the expensive food is, but the price has gone up hugely here? How, how can we do it for ourselves? So, yeah, we're actually trying to work right now on adapting our program and creating a version that can be applied in the U.S. as well. So if anyone's interested in, in working with us on this, uh, you know, again, we're a small NGO, so we have to work at the pace of our budget. But if anyone's interested in working with us, uh, we would love to talk to anybody who's interested in applying these things here, here in the United States as well. Well, now tell our listeners how they can get involved since you opened the door about, hey, contact me so that you can learn how to implement our program. Tell us how we can get in touch with you. Uh, go to our website, www.feedtheworld.org. Uh, you, know, so, you know, you get lots of information there. You can get, see some of our programs and what are we doing, some of the success stories that we've had. Uh, you know, you can give me a call directly. You can uh, contact us through our website. I run most of that as well. Uh, you know, we, we have a lot of stuff going on, uh, a lot of great projects, a lot of, a lot, a lot of good we can do in the world right now. We're trying to partner with a lot of organizations. Um, but, uh, but we're always open, especially, and I'm, I'm very interested in the United States uh, because there is, as you said, there are you know, 58 million people right now in America are, 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 uh, are going a bit hungry. So being able to have yeah, when you think about when you think about child poverty, yeah, I mean this this I'm sorry, right there next door. Yeah, I mean, in child poverty, which is a big issue, 16.7 million children living in food insecure households, and you know, there's a lot that we can do about that with a program like yours um, by teaching them how to grow their own food and how to commercialize that surplus. So I think that you know, again, listeners, if there's anyone that wants to get in touch with Alan, feedtheworld.org. As simple as that. And you guys are also on Facebook and Twitter, and, and they can find all that from your website. Now, yep. tell me, um, 
how how um how can how can they get involved when they reach out to you maybe they're not interested in implementing something in their town but it's someone that has means and they want to get involved or they want to get more information about what your needs are how can our listeners be of service to your organization well, again, contact us. You know, there's lots of needs going on. We're actually creating a, a new textbook that we're putting together to help uh, teach organizations um, how to do this program around the world. Because again, we're only we know there's only so many of us that can do it. We're trying to expand the program and teach it around the country. So, if anyone has any resources that can help with helping pay our our textbooks and our knowledge that we you know we, we give away, <coughs> uh, we love we love to appreciate that. Please come down to our expeditions. You know, we have expeditions throughout the year. You know, come see what we're doing. You know, get involved. You know, be be out there. You know, don't you? I mean, as much as we love donations, and yes, we'll take them. You know, <laughs> because we will put them to good use. Um, the most important thing you can do is get involved. You know, join in. You know, there's lots of volunteers things you can do with our organization as well. We need translators. We need all these people who can do all these wonderful things. Uh, our, 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 um, our staff down in South America just lost a couple of their trucks, uh, just being just beat up. You know, if you're auto dealership, you can use this as well. You know, there's lots and lots and lots of of ways that you can get involved with our organization. You know, if you work with uh, with government agencies or anybody else in the area who wants to help expand our programs in the U.S., please contact me. Now, there's a lot of good that we can do, and the more we work together, uh, the better good we're going to do, and the, and the more people we're going to impact. Well, I mean, that's, that's great, and, you know, listeners, again, feedtheworld.org. Now, we have a few minutes left before, you know, uh, we're done for this this today's show. Why don't you explain, you said expedition, and I'm sure that raised some antennas, you know, because we know that those are trips abroad where you can go to a developing area and help you guys with the self-reliant agriculture projects that you're doing. Can you just in these last few minutes that we have tell our listeners what those experiences are like? What would they experience if they went on an expedition with you, both as an adult or a child? Well, uh, I'll give you a quick example. I just did one, (coughs) pardon me, in Peru. What we do is we call them volunteerism um, because there's two different types of things. People go down either for tourists and uh, as tourists, or they go down you not know, to just really get in the dirt uh, and work hard. Uh, we do a little bit of both. In our expeditions, what these people do is they actually come down to our programs. So we have programs in, in various countries, mm-hmm. and they'll actually get involved with our staff. They'll actually go to the villages and actually help out with the, with the projects we're actually doing. They actually teach classes and, 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 and dig right alongside the families. We actually have programs in which they shadow the family and actually follow a family around so they can actually see what these families' lives are like on a daily basis. And, and, and that right there just changes people's lives when they, when they experience what it really is like to live in the circumstances that these people are living in. Uh, so they do a lot of work, but at the same time, we always might want to make it to be an, an educational and powerful experience. So for our last trip to, to uh, Peru, we took a youth group. Uh, you know, we, they traveled to the villages, they did all this wonderful work over there, and then we took them to Machu Picchu uh, and, and showed them the, the wonderful uh, lost city of the Incas and then showed them wow. a lot of the history, uh, which is interesting because it actually applies to, to what some of the circumstances that people actually lived in at the moment. But, but yeah, we combine hard work um, with amazing, amazing experiences around the world. So it is an experience like a, unlike any other. People always come back from this saying, oh, this is incredible. I wish I had done it sooner. I need to go again. So it's a, it's a fantastic experience. Okay. Well, I mean, I, 
I'd love to go on one, so I'm definitely going to look at the website and, and submit um, an inquiry form. And, you know, again, you know, listeners, there's an app for that. So they have an app that actually gives you some insight into those experiences if you go abroad with Feed the World. Thanks, guys, for listening today. We've been on with Alan Silver from Feed the World. If you go to feedtheworld.org, you'll get more information about how you can assist them with solving the problem of world hunger. Thank you for joining us, Alan. I really enjoy speaking with you. Oh, it was a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. And everyone else, we will talk to you next week. So as we always close, the way that we always close is do good and be good wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in again for more information about the emerging social enterprise. You can also visit us on the web at talkgoodbusiness.com.